90%. So, you're the 1% that's, that's got 90% going. So, this week we'll be getting into step two, and, and I'm uh, going to... Um, You know, as as I talked about last week, this is also an introductory meditation class, and I and I want to kind of take you through a series of practices over these weeks. So the practice this week I want to offer you is a practice. Uh, it's usually called noting or labeling, and. Uh, this is where we actually make a mental note of our of the things that are kind of capturing the mind. When we realize that the mind has wandered, we make a mental note of uh, of what we what was happening. So if it's thinking or it's hearing uh, or it's a sensation uh, or an emotion, we make a mental note of that. Uh, what I what I find to be particularly useful is to actually divide my thoughts into two categories of either of wanting or aversion. So either sort of, you know, the thoughts of desire or thoughts of uh, not wanting not or judging or negative thoughts. Uh, so this is kind of this is somewhat of a mechanical practice, and it's not so much that uh, I'm suggesting that you do this permanently for your practice, but I think it's a really useful one for starting to see both the patterns of thought that you have and how those feel. So each time you kind of note, okay, desire, and then you come back to your body, come back to your breath, it's just to kind of feel what desire feels like. It's not that we're trying to judge ourselves or kind of get rid of desires. You know, that's just uh, unrealistic. And it's certainly not helpful to judge ourselves. Because these things appear in the mind uninvited. We're not... uh, asking to have these thoughts and feelings. So this is kind of the element of powerlessness over what arises in the mind. And so I'll just guide the, the sitting as I usually do, just the settling in, and then I'll, I will kind of give these same instructions in real time as we're, as we're meditating. And then we can discuss how that works for you afterwards. So just, uh, as usual, get settling into a comfortable posture. So your body is quite stable and able to be still. And even before we do anything intentional in practice, 
as you close your eyes, just noticing what is predominant for you right now. Whether there's anything physical or mental or emotional that's really compelling for you right now. And just acknowledging that. So if you've been rushing or had a stressful day, you might notice residual feelings from that. If there's something you've been kind of obsessing about, there might be some thoughts still moving through the mind. Just observing that. And then intentionally starting to relax the body. Letting the shoulders relax, softening the belly, relaxing the muscles in the face. Just feeling yourself settling, being drawn to the earth, feeling the power of gravity. And with a sense of releasing control, just letting the spinal column hold the body erect. Starting to connect with the breath. And since we're working with the noting practice, we're starting by noting the breath. We're following the breath at the nostrils, noting in, out. We're following the breath at the belly, rising, falling. feeling the sensations of breath, that the noting isn't just a repetition of words, but it's 
really an observation. I am breathing in. I feel myself breathing in. I'm breathing out. I feel the breath leaving the body. In, out, or rising, falling. Even as we make this effort to pay attention, we're relaxed, easeful. Awareness and mindfulness don't really improve with a striving, striving effort, trying to do it right. They actually work better when there's a sense of receiving, opening to experience, that observing quality. As the mind drifts off into thought, as it naturally does, as soon as you notice that, see if you can detect intuitively the quality of thought, whether there's a quality of wanting or a quality of not wanting a negative, aversive quality. Wanting takes many forms. Sometimes it's planning something for the future. (laughs) Often it's a plan for the future. Sometimes it's a trying to figure something out, wanting to know. or wanting to feel something. And aversion takes many forms. Resentment, anger, judgment, self-judgment. Wanting things to be different from how they are. This is where desire and aversion meet. They both reflect a desire for things to be different from how they are. 
one by acquiring and the other by getting rid of. So in this practice of noting, we don't take a lot of time to think about what kind of thought we're having. We just try to see if see if it's obvious. Oh. If it's not obvious, just come back to the breath anyway. But if you can identify it, then just silently say to yourself, desire, desire, and then come back to the breath. Or the same with aversion, just repeating that to yourself. And so when you come back to the breath, there's a sense of starting meditation again. You might notice again what feelings there are in the body, what mood might have shifted as you were thinking. And this is how we really become familiar with the effects of desire and aversion. How does that feel? Again, this is a very brief, just in one breath, one moment, we check in and then come right to the breath. In, out, rising, falling. Not to make this practice into a struggle or a big challenge, trying to do it right.
Thank you. There's plenty of room here on the floor in the front for people who want to sit on the floor. Here, uh, it's a traditional place for people to sit in this room. Uh, so uh, before we go on, I'd like to hear uh, any comments about working with that practice. If that, if you did it, what happened? Any challenges or insights in that process? Does anybody remember what I suggested doing? Yeah. Hi. Um, I found that uh, that the aversion and desire kept rolling into each other. Mm-hmm. You know, like I was having uh, being stiff, and when I tried to, I identified it as aversion not wanting to feel any pain, but then it started off at sort of wanting to be painless, wanting to be easy, <laughs> uncomfortable. So they kind of, each time I noticed one, the other popped its little head up. Yeah. Yeah, I think the main difference is that there's a, even though in pain there is the wish to feel pleasure, it's mainly the wish to not feel pain. <laughs> Yeah, uh, but yeah, I mean, it, it's definitely true that they're facing the same thing. Yeah. Um, um, so I've been feeling, I guess now I realize, I've been feeling so extremely stressed, like, Trying to surrender, and, and I guess it's, it's, for lack of a better word, in tension with my own body and mind, for s- and <coughs> suffering. And I just finally, in that exercise, was able to just be present mm-hmm. for what I resist, and you know, and gain like you know, some minutes of peace in there. Uh-huh. And that was like. Then I remember why I, you know, why I have to do this. Yeah, yeah. Because without that, it just drives me crazy. Yeah. You know, and there is that opportunity in that for that peace. Yes, there certainly is. Oh, and and it's it's so interesting too how when when we're in those kind of agitated states, it kind of seems like oh, what's the point of meditating? You know, that's not going to do anything, you know. And anyway, I need to figure this out, or I need to solve this, or take care of that. And it's just amazing how we um, deceive ourselves. I mean, it is very much like what we do in our addiction. You know, it's like, I'll, I'll, I need to, you know, I'll control this, I'll figure it out, rather than surrendering. And, and there is just this there is this power, you know, more and more I'm thinking about what happens in meditation as being similar to how our body can heal itself. So in the same way that, you know, if I get a cut, I can't like, you know, tell it to stop bleeding, 
but you know my the blood coagulates it and the skin grows back and you know it, it you know I, it goes does it in its own time and it, you know I have to keep it clean and create the conditions for it and maybe put a band-aid on so I can create the conditions for my body to heal itself. And that's the same thing that I'm doing with my mind with meditation. I'm creating the conditions for my mind to heal itself. And those conditions are basically doing nothing for a little while. And yeah, intentionally guiding my mind back to the place of just observing. But there's a lot that the mind actually does on its own. We, we don't it's not like I am meditating or I am imposing something in my mind. I'm, okay, good, I've got this, I've got control now. It's just, again, creating the conditions. I, I do the noticing, I come back to the breath, but the actual healing process is actually happening in the mind or brain mind uh, itself. Uh, um, but, it, you know, it can't do it if we don't, create those conditions. You know, if you get the cut and then you just stick your hand in dirt and you don't take care of yourself and you get infected, right? If you don't create the conditions. It's really a good metaphor. I'm going to work with that. If I don't forget. Thank you. I'm glad that was, you know, that you felt that. Yeah. Any other thoughts or comments on that? Yeah. See, that's what you get for sitting on the side. I can't see you if you sat here. I see you. Sorry. I'm a little cranky tonight, so, you know, it might seep out unskillfully. Yes, please. How can I help you? I, I notice there's a lot control underneath it all. Good. Yes. Yes. And uh, that's interesting to work with. Yeah. And wanting the sensations to change yeah. and to, you know, not, not. It's just there's a lot of resistance to what's going on and it's wanting to control it. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And who's wanting to control it? Uh, yeah, I, I, that's that's a later question <laughs> or whatever. I, uh, but yeah, I mean, just really observing that effort to control, and sometimes it's a sometimes as you're meditating, you're trying to control things that aren't even here in the present moment. You know, you're trying to figure things out or solve problems, but then there's also trying to control your experience as you're meditating. Oh, this isn't the way it's supposed to be, or that's not what the meditation teacher said would happen, or this is, I didn't want this thing, or why can't I get that, you know, uh, peaceful experience and all that. And uh, So, again, I will really point you point us all back to feeling that quality of wanting, whether it's a wanting to control or a wanting to figure out or whatever it is. Just approval. Yeah, wanting approval. So just each time when you come back to the breath, 
don't just come back to breath like, oh, we're going to get rid of that, but come back and kind of feel yourself like, wow, what? because that thought has an impact on how you feel. And that's what the Buddha calls dukkha, right? The unsatisfactoriness or quality of suffering. The motivation, the way we build motivation to let go is that we see that over and over again until it becomes very clear that my mental effort to control, you know, to grasp, is not only not getting what I want, but it's actually getting what I want, don't want, which is it's creating discomfort. That seems to have a motivation of its own. It does. Yes, it does. It's, it's evolutionary, you know. I mean, it's founded in the survival instinct, you know, because humans, our main tool for survival is our intelligence. Unlike, you know, bigger, stronger, faster, you know, animals or, you know, so, you know, in, in, um, in terms of evolution, when humans were competing to survive, there were, you know, faster and stronger ma- mammals that could get them, eat them, <laughs> but we had the capacity to solve problems, to remember, to plan, to learn from the past, to plan for the future, and that became our primary tool for survival. So instinctually, we don't want to stop thinking because what that does is it creates the fear of, of death, you know, essentially. You know, it, it's, that's, it's like, no, I can't stop thinking because you know, the lions and tigers and bears are going to get me. Now, even though there's no lions and tigers and bears in here, might be like a bobcat up that hill somewhere, but it's not going to get us, you know. I, should, I shouldn't have even said that because now you're going to be like, well, wait a minute. What? Um, but, you know, even though there's no threat, this is our default mode of relating to our experience. I mean, you know, the survival instinct really doesn't care about you being comfortable, you know, or happy. And all it wants is that you to stay alive and reproduce, right? I like, I like that you said it's evolutionary because it's, it's not like there's a thought that says to me it's just, no. like you said, instinctual. It's just yeah, it's deep in the, it's in the lower regions of the brain. And that one of the things that we are doing in meditation, in mindfulness practice, is we are strengthening the role of the higher regions, the prefrontal cortex, to be more... Uh, I don't. I, w- I want to say in control, but that's to be more. Uh, the default. Yeah, the place that we go to more easily. That it. That it. You know, it's more alert, more awake, more more active. Yeah. You know? And uh, that. I mean, that's the stuff that they're finding in the in the research about the brain and mindfulness, and and it really makes sense when you practice and you do. I mean. As I've read some of that stuff, it's it just so aligns with 
my my experience in meditation. And I'm like, okay, even if that's not true, it just it works perfectly. Even if it's really just a our crude way of understanding the brain, which you know uh, is at this point beyond our capacity to fully understand. Well, um, you know, it's kind of the age-old question, you know, are we different? Are we special? Uh, You know, I I don't know, really. And and essentially, I don't need to know. I mean, it's apparent that we've been both driven by and reinforced our tendencies of craving. So we have conditioned ourselves to act on craving to the point of self-destruction. So whether that's, uh, you know, genetic or it's pre, you know, that was, there were preconditions for that or whether that was created through our habitual behavior, you know, I don't, I don't know. And, and um, you know, one of the things the Buddha talks about in terms of our conditioning and our karma is that you can't really unravel it and figure it out. Uh, um, so, I mean, I don't think this is an unreasonable question to ask. And, and even though I said I don't know, or even that it's not maybe that important, it, it, what's... I don't mind exploring the question as long as it's as long as we don't get into it as a as a sense of oh we're different and unique and and all the things that that can mean that can be like about being a victim or or it's harder for me or uh, you know the things that create separation because to me. Desire and addictive desire is just on the continuum of desire that all humans are on. I mean, that's why the Four Noble Truths fit so well with recovery. Because what the Buddha is talking about is the human condition, and and addiction is just a form of the human condition kind of taken to an extreme. But that's what we do, right? said and uh, one of the reasons why I'm here is that I uh, you know I struggle with the whole I'm an alcoholic uh, label and um, and so that sitting in the rooms of Alcoholics Anonymous you know has has pointed out an incredible range of level of addiction yeah Uh, when I when I read things like the um, uh, the uh, the five uh, Drawing a blank on what they are now. I've, uh, precepts, or, uh, precepts? Hindrances? Uh, uh, yeah, the hindrances. Yes. Too. You know, it's <laughs> and, and recovery practices and so forth. And um, you, you, I think you just said it, but I, to me, I want to. I, I know that there is a level of addiction 
mm -hmm. that is pathological that yeah. people really need help and so yeah. but in general there isn't a person walking that yeah. whose process isn't going to be more open by noting the hindrances yes or doing any of the steps right right and there's mm -hmm. just so there's like a general sense there's a general path of opening that these practice and you know less rigidity that these practices create a form of reflection but i just don't think it matters at some right. level right i agree and and the the practice of saying i am an alcoholic to me is meant to support your recovery and if it doesn't, then I don't think you should say it. Um, because what's important isn't what I call myself or either whether I am an alcoholic or not. Because I, you know, I could make the argument either way about myself, and I know many people could who are in you know, Alcoholics Anonymous or Narcotics Anonymous or whatever their program could say, you know, that, that I was never diagnosed, I never went through treatment, you know, so, so I can say, well, I don't care whether I'm an alcoholic or not, actually. What I care about is the fact that when I drank and used, I had problems and I couldn't deal with them and I couldn't grow emotionally and, uh, or in terms of maturity. When I stopped drinking and using, I still had problems, as I do today, 30 years later, but I'm able to deal with them one day at a time, you know, and I've grown, uh, you know, emotionally, and, and my maturity has grown. And so, to me, it's a question of, is there some, you know, if, if defining myself as an alcoholic is how I decide whether I should drink or not, well, that's, you know, that's not a helpful thing for me because I mean you know the irony that I like to point out is the people who say well I realized I'm not an alcoholic so I guess I'll go have a drink and it's kind of like well if you're not an alcoholic why is the first thing you think of that you should have is you're going to go have a drink you know so if you're not really not an alcoholic, then maybe next month, you know, somebody will offer you a glass of wine and you'll sip it, you know. So, no, I don't think it's important how we label ourselves. I think it's how we, whether the behavior is helpful in our lives. Are you saying there's not a biological point beyond which we go where it takes us to Now you're getting me into, you know, uh, the mean, realm of... It can be a rationalization, I think, what? Just that, well, okay, I don't think it's important whether I am or not. Well, if it's not important, I'm more prone or more vulnerable to rationalizing behavior that's not really in my favor. Right? Uh, maybe. But I find, I find these, I run into more, I run into more people who use not wanting to call themselves alcoholics as a as another reason to not go to Alcoholics Anonymous than I do people who say I don't know what the opposite would be uh, I, you know 
I think my, my point was, and I, I hear what you're saying, and I, I'm, I don't want to get into a philosophical discussion yeah. about it. Um, and I know you, you're not asking us to, but I, I guess my only point is, is that we, there isn't a person walking whose psyche could not benefit from right. opening. Yeah. And, uh, and so, and that's to me, that's this, the 12 steps to me are just one more spiritual practice. Mm -hmm. uh, I, you know, I would just say that for people who have problems, serious problems, they are not one more yeah, spiritual right. practice. Right. They that's are the right. foundation practice would, out of which everything else on which everything else depends. But they are, you know, to me, I also really appreciate the universality of the steps that I think you're pointing to, and it's certainly one of the things, um, and, and, I, and I don't, certainly don't deny that there's a, a condition called alcoholism. What I, my impression from reading the literature of the early members is that they were what they call real alcoholics. And, but that a lot of people, and they talk about this too in the literature, that after a while, a lot more people started to come who, who weren't addicted to alcohol, didn't, ha, didn't have that extent of alcoholism, but nonetheless, alcohol or drugs or whatever, I, I don't like to just talk about alcohol in here, because to me, I want to be welcoming to all addictions. But anyway, we'll just say for this discussion that alcohol was causing a problem and there's you know it's it's um that's why it's not so important to me whether i say it or not because it's it's the it's whether it's a problem or not because there's people who are complete alcoholics who won't admit it but maybe they'll admit that oh yeah I, you know this isn't helping me you know, to drink. That's like a, an easier thing for people to accept. That's more the point. Yeah. I've got to a place where I've trained myself to, you know, to be dysfunctional with a substance, and I'm much better off with that. Yeah. And it's really important to acknowledge that, yeah. that what you label, you put on it, or what you put a label yeah. on it. Right. Because that's another thing, like, Buddhist... I see it, so give me a sec. That, one of the things that I run into in kind of Buddhist world is that people are, say, well, but I don't want to take on an identity of being an alcoholic because, like, you know, I'm a Buddhist and we realize that there is no real self. So just bringing, saying identities, it's like, you know, it's like, really? I mean, you're just, it's another rationalization. Yeah. So, yeah. You know, if you were sitting up closer, I'd be able to see it better. Yeah, I understand. That's why I'm harassing you. I drank alcoholically off and on for 10 years in the last five years pretty heavily. I went to AA a number of times. It didn't stay very long. I had a lot of trouble identifying myself as an alcoholic. And I do referees recovery now, and I'm starting meetings in, in the last three weeks. I've been happy to identify myself as an alcoholic. It just really helps me. It makes it a lot easier. Yeah. Thank you. Um, so... I don't want to use up a lot of time for a break. Um, in fact, I'd rather not take a break. Would people be okay if we don't take a break? 
if you need, really need to use the restroom or something, just just go ahead and do that. And, you know, um, but uh, I just there's so much we can do. <laughs> I hate to uh, spend uh, time not doing it. Um, so so tonight, step two. Uh, all right. Yeah. Yeah. We'll do another separate recording. Yeah.